Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Here we are for our second segment with podcaster, writer, and author of Fauci and Bargain, Steve Dace. This is Dr. Mark McDonald and Dr. Jeff Barkey on Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics. We just finished our last segment with Steve Dace discussing his views on whether or not the Wuhan virus was accidentally or intentionally leaked out of the Wuhan lab of virology. And Dr. Barkey wanted to continue on this conversation with Steve with a very, very important question. Jeff, why don't you repeat your question for our listeners and allow Steve to continue with our conversation? Absolutely. Steve, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, You've got some incredible insight in what's going on here. Mark and I have been talking about this for many, many months now, and you've seemed to encapsulated it in, uh, in quite a way. You talk about the gain of function, the Faucian bargain, um, the evil nature of what Dr. Fauci has been doing, the Marxist underpinning of this whole movement uh, to do away with science and to interpose big government instead, one size fits all for everybody. It's interesting because normally, if I'm curious about the latest developments and treatment protocols for any disease, you name it, asthma, diabetes, cancer, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. There's an endless number of websites and institutions I can look to, Mayo Clinic, uh, Massachusetts General, um, et cetera, on and on and on that you could that, that have these protocols. There isn't a single healthcare institution that has a protocol to treat COVID. Instead, it's private folks that have had to step up. It's the frontline doctors with their experience of treating thousands of COVID patients that have put together these protocols. Uh, one of the best sites I have found is a site called earlycovidcare.org mm-hmm. that it curates multiple sites, including America's Frontline Doctors and Frontline uh, COVID Coalition and various organizations uh, from Zelenko's protocol and Peter McCullough has a protocol. Uh, our, our good friend, Brian Tyson, that single-handedly has treated more COVID patients than anybody else, up to, I think, 6,000 now without a single death. So we're having to go to these private organizations that are putting together these protocols, independent of our now political mainstream healthcare organizations. So the real question now as we move forward, as we're getting a handle on early treatment, we're actually pretty darn good at treating this disease early. Um, if, if you are able to get to a doctor that understands this, if you are able to find a pharmacy that will dispense some of the repurposed medications like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, uh, uh, fluvox, uh, budesonide, et cetera, there's a lot of great protocols and medications out there. Regeneron, the challenges, finding docs that know how to do this. So the question really is, Steve, what's the end game with this? What does Dr. Fauci hope to ultimately accomplish? Boosters every six months, uh, complete control over society as it relates to medical care. Uh, uh, You know, these vaccine passports now to fly and to move about our country. We're gonna see 
borders between states where you're going to have to show your passports, not unlike olden days when you'd go into East Germany right. across from West Germany. I mean, what's the end game and, and is there a solution uh, moving forward? I hate to just complain about things, although we do a lot about that. What are, what are some solutions moving forward and what are your thoughts on that? You know what I think has been fascinating? One of the most fascinating things about the last year plus, guys, is that the most secular socialist country in Europe, Sweden, has suddenly become the control group to get actual real data from the very beginning. That they 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 pursued under under Anders Tegnell a more traditional herd immunity or population or natural immunity strategy, first and foremost last year, and I think that's ironic because what you see in Sweden is the uh, the cultural Marxists have all the power that they want in Sweden. They can do whatever they want. And so now that they're in control, they want to tell the truth. They don't want to destroy their country. They like going to the restaurants and stuff, too. So they're going to be honest with their people. That's The reason why that's not happening here is they don't have the control they want. All right? that This is about getting control. This is about gaining power. With Marxists, everything is about two things. Power and control. And so understand they will pursue whatever narrative, talking point, strategy, etc., will grant them more power and control. Um, the idea that there's nothing else to, that you could not get treated for this except to receive experimental products from entities that they are explicitly in business with, that's about power and control. That's what it's about. Not allowing you to discuss things like the ivermectin cocktail on Facebook by far the biggest social media uh, site and presence in the United States. That is about power and control. So you just have to ask yourself, what are they going to do next? Whatever will grant them more power and control. Now, we have, we have an advantage on a political level that, we, that, that you don't see in a country like Italy or France, where they're having mass protests right now against vaccine mandates. There's no, like, federalism system where the governor of, a governor of an Italian state can go all Ron DeSantis and interpose himself between the federal monstrosity. We do have that here. And so what we really need to be doing is asking ourselves, dude, why is it just like Ron DeSantis the whole time? Where's everybody else at? All right, you need to get your governors and your mayors and your state legislators to understand they took an oath of office to defend your freedoms, your God-given rights against all enemies, all enemies, foreign and domestic. And what, what, what you're watching Ron DeSantis practice is what I call a militant form of federalism. In that he's, not, he's going further than saying, we're not doing crazy federal stuff from the federal government here. He's now saying, I will interpose my office offensively between you and the federal government to protect you from them. So it's not just like he's just practicing some form of a nullification. He's, he's going on another level. For example... After Biden uh, said he wanted to mandate fines for businesses of over 100 employees that wouldn't make sure all their people were vaccinated, DeSantis came out 48 hours later and said, we're actually going to fine businesses in Florida that do that. Like he's, He is offensively interpositioning his office, his station between his constituents and the federal government. This needs to go on because there, I think there's, what is it, 19 or 20 states that Republicans have total control, both the legislature and the governor's mansion. A state like West Virginia, where where the Democrats have not won a precinct 
in that state in a presidential election since 2008, that state ought to be redder than California is blue. It's not. So that, that on a political level, that needs to happen. All right, we, we've got to force people that we vote into office to do a little bit more than, hey, can you do better than be worse than the people, than, than be better than the, the, the worst people in America? Can we have a higher bar than that? Secondly, I don't want to hear any more, I don't want to hear any more bro dudes who, you know, are, are, are going into the gym tomorrow to, to, to work out those 40-inch pythons, and they're going to they're gonna grab their favorite Joe Rogan podcast, light that bitch up, and get all fired up, all right, and talk about insurrection and civil war, but they're going to make sure they drop their little three-year-old off at the daycare with a mask first. Nope. No more. No more of that crap. All right? You get the tyranny you comply with. Period. End of sentence. That's been true since the third chapter of Genesis, brother. You get the tyranny you comply with. All right. Whether it's a slip, whether it's a slithering serpent, or it's a forked tongue one over NIAID, you get the tyranny you comply with. And people need to start saying no. We're not doing this stuff anymore. No. Uh, and and you know the, one of the things that we say in Fauci and Booster about vaccine mandates is they violate the Nuremberg Code explicitly, and therefore they should be opposed and resisted by any peaceable means necessary. Right now in Italy, the unions are talking about massive strikes. Truckers are talking about shut, just not driving and shutting down supply chains. Yes, that needs to be happening everywhere. You need to cause them pain. All right, too many of y'all just are too nice. You know, get comfortable being uncomfortable, all right, and understand that whichever side of this argument is the least concerned about its comfort is ultimately going to win because we are not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. Steve, you just, I think, hit the nail on the head with a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is the emasculation of the American man. Mm -hmm. I had a woman interview me up in Canada recently. Canada is obviously far, far, far more gone than the United States. And she said, when I go outside and I look around me and I see the men with the, you said, the big python muffles and the tats and the AR-15s and the camo and the gun racks, and they step into their truck and they put a mask on, she said, I don't feel safe. Yep. I feel terrified. Yeah. I feel absolutely terrified. And you said, and you, you introduced yourself and described yourself as a data guy. And I, of course, am highly respectful of data because I think that's how we need to drive our decisions when we make medical uh, prognoses and diagnoses and plans. Uh, we can't go with uh, chicken bones from Haiti in order to determine how we treat a patient. And yet my experience has been the data has been completely useless in the last year and a half, utterly useless in terms of strategic value. And I believe the reason is exactly how you just described it. The people who are making the decisions are not driven by data. They're driven by money, power, control, the Marxist uh, strategy. And any data that is inconvenient is suppressed, is defamed, is slandered, is canceled, and so is the speaker and the distributor of that data, whether it's a person or a platform or a book, etc. So if data does not work strategically, what does? And I think you just pointed to one potential solution, one way out, which is to push back offensively 
rather than engaging in this very respectful sort of Lincoln-Douglas style debate where you're assuming that both parties are on the same side of truth and wish to find through hypothesis, antithesis, synthesis, this very respectful intellectual debate to find out what the actual solution is to our problem, we need to acknowledge and accept that that's not the playing field that we're in. And, and if we continue to act as if uh, just the truth, just the good fight, so to speak, is going to prevail against a communist and Marxist enemy, I think we're doomed. I think that they are just going to yep. continue to ratchet, 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 step yes. back half a step to give us some breathing room, and then ratchet forward two more steps, half a step back, five more steps forward. The only places where I see freedom uh, continuing to have a fighting chance are places where, as you described and gave an example of Ron DeSantis, is going actively after businesses and schools that force masks on children, that threaten to fire employees who don't get vaccines, because those are the places and those are the leaders who understand how the game is being played. Do you agree? I, I, I think this is the, the, I don't see any other way right now of, of fighting back simply by get, providing information. And I'm not dis, dis, disagreeing with the importance of that, and it, it has to be relevant in the longer uh, arc of our, of our fight, but it's not sufficient. So let me, take, let me take what you just said and apply it to another, um, another enterprise, to, another venue to affirm your point, uh, Mark. Um, I, you know, one of the greatest evangelistic books of the 20th century is Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it does a phenomenal job um, using largely historical sourcings and, and, and non-biblical canon to, uh, to provide an, a, a ready defense, an apologetic defense intellectually for the Christian faith. However, as much as I love that book and I and admire Josh and I still want to be like him when I grow up, I don't believe that there's a lot of sinners out there that you can show that book to and they're going to say, you know what, you know, I was really enjoying this immoral behavior quite a bit. And then I read Josh, I read, then I read that we have more copies, uh, that Pliny the Elder mentioned to Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you know, in, 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 in the third century, as did then Tacitus and Josephus. And you know what, I'm going to go ahead and tell my hot girlfriend we just can't shack up anymore, and I guess we'll just be celibate till the wedding night. I think the list of people that will be moved by that, immersed in their sin, is un piquito. But, here, but that doesn't mean that, these, that such a work does not, pro, does not provide a colossal service. What it really helps is other believers. It gives us confidence to know there's reasons for the hope that we have, and so now take that confidence and take that faith out into the world and engage you do have good answers to difficult questions. The other side doesn't. That's also why I provide this data to my audience. I know the percentage of their panic-stricken um, Branch Covidian neighbors and family members that will, that will feel like, thank you for freeing me, as opposed to get, you know, sign of the cross, is much smaller, unfortunately. But it gives them confidence to know, you know what, I'm on the side of light, I'm on the side of truth, I'm going to take this fight to them. Because here's where we're at right now. This is not a political battle in America. This is a spiritual and epistemological one. Where You mentioned, you know, you used some good terms there, the antithesis, the thesis. Where this, is, this is the Hegelian dialectic is the argument now. I just merge every side into one syncretistic soup 
that, that advances my narrative, whether, and, and, and it used to be, you know, you had corporate America and the conservatives on one side and big government and the liberals on, there, are, there aren't, those sides are all gone now. Now we got Bill Maher on his show on, last night saying, how do we know ivermectin doesn't work? Here's where it is now. It's critical thinkers versus the spirit of the age. It's people of, 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 of some very different belief systems and, and ideologies, like me and Bill Maher, for example, who do, though, think that they, should reserve, they, get the, they, sh they have the freedom to reserve for themselves some power of, to critically think for themselves. And right now, the spirit of the age wants to deny that across the board. It wants indoctrination, inculcation, compliance. There can be no critical thinking here. And they looked from man to pig and pig to man and back to pig again, and they couldn't tell the difference. That's where we are right now. It's, it's, it's culture by Hegelian dialectic. It's just all narrative now. And, and so it's, it's critical thinkers versus everybody else. I mean, I, I spent the early part of my political career debating the, the people like Andrew Sullivan and the worldview that he spawned with the gay rights movement. Nowadays, half of the tweets he sends out could have come from my Twitter account. All right? Why? Because we're both critical thinkers. Now, we came to dramatically different conclusions about, about human nature and, the, and its place in the world. But we both agree we reserve some right as human beings in our place on the top of the food chain to critically think for, for ourselves. The powers at the, the, that are at stake here right now don't want to let you do that anymore. They want mass compliance. And so that's the, really the battle now, is, is we, can we even introduce critical thinking into the argument? Can we, as, as Spurgeon once said, let the lion out of its cage so that it will defend itself just fine? All right? That's the, that's the battle we're in now. The awake versus the asleep, really. Yep. So, so let's break it down. You've got a single mom who's a, who's a school teacher who's being uh, forced to be vaccinated or lose their job. Uh, you've got a nurse who's worked for 15, 20 years, and uh, if she just hangs in there for a little longer, she'll be able to retire with a nice pension. She's about to be fired because they won't allow her to work if she doesn't get vaccinated. You have a career military person uh, who has a pension that he's been counting on or she's been counting on but doesn't want to get vaccinated, and he or she is about to get a dishonorable discharge if they don't comply. How are those individuals supposed to fight? There are some places that are helping, not a lot. I mean, I, I, have, I have personally gone to one of the largest conservative legal firms in the country whose head has a, is a longtime friend of mine, and I have done everything from lobby them privately to shame them publicly. Uh, to try and help more and more people. Um, but there are some places you can go, places like Liberty Council and Matt Staver, places like We the Patriots USA. There are some places that you can go that now they're getting so overwhelmed right now with people begging for help that, you know, get in line. But there are some places that you can go. But I, this is the thing, the first thing that I think that people need to do. A triple braided cord is tougher to break. Instead of doing this all by yourself, find the other people. See, sending one black kid to the University of Arkansas or the University of Mississippi in 1955 wasn't going to change anything. Sending seven or eight might. Sending 15 or 20 might. See where I'm going with this? Okay? Yeah. And you, you, what, 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 what won the civil rights struggles 
is that a lot of white folks living in places like Illinois and Wisconsin who didn't give a crap about the redneck South or, or the Jim Crow battles, their kid, they were having TV dinner, uh, you know, uh, dinners over TV dinners, watching Walter Cronkite at night. And he would show them on the news every night those high-pressure water hoses from the South, all right, and what they were doing to black people down there. And the, and the questions their kids were asking them made them real uncomfortable. So now the, now the white folks in the North are calling their congressmen up and saying, hey, I don't, I'm tired of seeing this on my TV. Make this stop. What we have forgotten in the West, particularly in America, because we've been so damn spoiled, is suffering for your cause is a very successful strategy. Now, the other side has adopted it and turned it into victimology, all right? But, but, and, and, but it wins. So, so if, if unrighteous and contrived suffering wins, what do you think that righteous and justifiable suffering might do? And, and no one's willing to lose anything. And that's why we're poised to lose everything, all right? Whoever comes to the poker table and is the least concerned about losing the money they came to the table with is most of the time, unless it's just a bad night of luck with cards, most of the time that guy is going to win. Whoever shows up at the negotiating table and cares the least about losing, most of the time that guy's got the leverage, all right? Right now, we care too much about, uh, about losing our comfort, and we're not, not, very few of us are willing to suffer for what we believe. And I say this on my show, people say, Steve, that's easy for you to say, folks. Last year, it was me and about five other people against the entire media industrial complex. And we didn't know we were right. I went out on limbs challenging the Imperial College survey and, 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 and the Trump White House and Anthony Fauci at a time almost no one else was doing this. And if I had turned out, and I didn't know I was right, I just smelled a rat. But if I had been wrong, and if I had been wrong one freaking time, I live in a nice house. I've got three teenagers. I make a good living doing this. If I had been wrong one time about the worst pandemic in a century, I'd be gone. My career would be over. I'd be starting all over. And because of partisan politics, I couldn't go back to the sports world where I came. I don't know what I do for a living because this is like the only thing I do halfway decent. So the idea that I haven't taken any risks, that I haven't faced any potential uh, um, you know, uh, blowback from this is, is not true in the least. You don't recover from being wrong about something like this when life and death is at stake. So absolutely, I've taken risks. I'm not asking people to do anything I haven't done. The idea, though, that, you know, what it, when those founding fathers pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor, what do you think that meant? Because a lot of them did. A lot of these were wealthy men, wealthy landowners. A lot of them lost everything uh, in order to rebel against the British Empire for things a lot less totalitarian than we are facing right now. It's like an anti-terrorist task squad. When you're fighting terrorists, the terrorists only have to win one time. Yes. You have to win every yes. single time. And God forbid you accidentally kill one child while you're yep. taking down those terrorists, you're, you're over. Yep. You're done. Yep. And that's the position that you were in. As you said, if you were wrong one time, you would have been discredited permanently. Yep. But Fauci, the FDA, the CDC, they can be wrong every second or third day. And they just get back on the horse the next time and they just go, oops. Exactly. You know, Steve, I heard a, uh, I'm, I'm a Jew, not a Christian, but I heard a, uh, a pastor friend of mine say uh, recently something like, uh, Jesus sacrificed everything. What are you willing to sacrifice? And if you're not willing to sacrifice now, you will sacrifice everything later because there'll be nothing left for you. And I think that really hit home that uh, we like to pretend that we don't have to sacrifice to make things better. 
And if enough of us feel that way, that we're just going to play along, that it's just one more mandate and then it'll all get better. Yes. It's just one more requirement and then it'll all get better. Uh, before long, the, just like the Jews in Nazi Germany found themselves being put in cattle cars and shipped off to concentration camps. And we're seeing that now almost literally in Australia where they have completely lost their freedoms, where they're no longer allowed to go out of their house, where they're being arrested if they stray too far, if they interact with friends, if they don't comply. And uh, it's been quite frightening what we've been seeing going on. You're, so let me speak to that in an explicitly Jewish context for a second. Because what you just articulated, you know, this is where Joshua looks at the people and says, you know, if Baal is, is God, go and serve him. But if God is God, serve him. You can't, in other words, you can't serve two masters. And he says, and as for me and my house, we will, we, you know, we will serve the Lord. And I think that's, a lot of Americans believe, and a lot of Westerners believe, that you can take a little bit of this, and a, and, and a little bit of that belief, and a little bit of this belief, and toss in some wing of bat and eye of newt, and stir it together in a cauldron and ugh, spills out of the, you know, a, a, a belief system. And that's a lie. And the reality is that conviction wins. Af the, 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 the Afghanistan, the people there, most of them just want to remain in the 8th century. And they really do. That's why they've defeated now both the Soviet and American empires in the last 40 years. Because in the end, they wanted to hold on to that 8th century armpit more than the Red Army and the U.S. Army wanted to. That's the same reason we beat back the, the British Armada in the, in the 18th century. Th 13 ragtag colonies. Why? Because the, the founding fathers and, this, and, and the colonial army was more interested in, in, in living in Trenton, New Jersey, than the Redcoats were. That's why. Okay, conviction wins, and right now we lack a lot of it. Right now, but 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 the op, the the opposition we're up against, they're loaded with conviction. Absolutely, it's why it's why the Israelis continue to wear, win wars, because they have no other choice and they have nowhere mm -hmm. else to go. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. It is awesome that uh, that you spend some time with us. I think our audience will. Uh, very much enjoy what you have to say and hopefully be motivated to do more than what they're doing now, to really look internally and make a decision uh, as to what they're willing to sacrifice and, and how they're willing to take a stand. They're not alone. They're not alone. There are a lot of people like them out there that are willing to stand shoulder to shoulder to make a difference, to stand up for their rights, to stand up for America, because if, if we lose America now, there'll be no turning back. Once we lose our liberties, we won't be able to get them back. And uh, it's, it's, it's the fight of our life. I've never seen anything like it. I think it's a fight worth fighting. It's a battle worth battling. I know early on in the uh, Revolutionary War, only about 3% of the population were engaged. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more than 3% of Americans that are pissed off and willing to stand up and fight. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Um, let us know what is your uh, what is your coordinates again for uh, for our audience to find you. You can look for me on on iTunes on uh, Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And uh, you know, uh, don't Google my name. At least ninety percent of it's not true, especially the good stuff. All right, go go to those places. Great. Thank and you order so your much. book, Fauci and Bargain. Yes. What's that, Mark? 
and order Steve's book, Faucian Bardian. Yes, and, and, order, and new, order Steve's book. You can get the new chapter, Pushing Back Against Vaccine, vaccine Mandates. Uh, it's a digital chapter, Faucian Booster. It's available at Amazon right now. Wonderful. And uh, thank you all for listening to Informed Dissent Media. Mark, great being with you. Steve Dace, thank you for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. You bet, guys. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.